Welcome to this IAPMD podcast, where we're going to be talking about the four Fs in PMDD. I will be chatting with Jenny K. Long, who serves on the IAPMD Clinical Advisory Board and is a licensed psychotherapist who is currently based in Arkansas at the Day by Day, a Centre for Health and Healing. She integrates counselling with auricular acupuncture and trauma-sensitive yoga. She specialises in working with PMDD and PME and complex trauma. Jenny Kay provides individual partner and group therapy as well as clinical supervision and professional development consultations and training. And on top of all that, Jenny Kay lives with PMDD herself. So today we're going to be talking about the four Fs, fight, flight, freeze and fall. These are the four trauma responses that get activated when we're feeling afraid, stressed or triggered. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jenny Kay. So glad to be here. Fantastic. So can you explain a bit more? I think most people have probably heard of fight or flight being activated. Um, Can you just explain a bit more about what the four Fs are? Yes, for sure. So when we are under stress, we feel overwhelmed, frightened, our survival, our internal biological survival system is triggered. It's activated so that we can keep ourselves safe in that moment. And that looks different based on the situation, based on the person. And so these four Fs, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, are our internal system's way of kicking in to help maintain safety as much as possible when unforeseen circumstances arise. The tricky thing about this is when we've experienced a lot of trauma throughout our lives, throughout childhood, adolescence, adulthood, whenever it started in the lifespan, if there's been so much trauma that we've dealt with, this system can become perpetually activated. It's kind of like it's just always waiting and ready rather Mm -hmm. than just being kind of there in the background if needed every once in a while. And so that can lead to these chronic levels of cortisol and adrenaline, um, feeling very on edge most of the time. And sometimes clinically we refer that to that as hypervigilance. And so hypervigilance, you know, that could look like, you know, someone walking in the door and you just jump out of your seat, that, that really intense startle response, yes. or always feeling like there's someone behind you, like watching you looking over your shoulder and your whole back feels tingly and tight and tense. And maybe your stomach gets um, nauseous and upset. It's just this perpetual fear. And so when we've experienced complex trauma or severe traumatic incidents, that fight, flight, freeze, fawn is kind of always at the ready. And for many of us living with PMDD and PME is traumatic in itself. And it can feel like there is always catastrophe looming maybe, you know, next luteal phase. And so these responses are extremely beneficial and helpful. And also if they have become overactivated by no fault of our own, right, they can become detrimental. Um, they can really get in the way of us living life, of, of feeling connected to our body, to ourself, to other people, being able to function even at work, at school, at home. So how would, it sounds like you're describing me (laughs) at the moment, (laughs) how would, because I think probably a lot of people have already heard of um, 
flight or fight, but freeze and fawn were kind of new to me. So how um, how do they look? You know, how what are the, the things that come with those two Fs? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just kind of go through all four of them. Yeah, um, great. Just in case folks aren't as familiar with fight and flight, though we do tend to hear about those a bit more. So when a situation occurs that feels frightening, stressful, or perhaps triggers old trauma memories or responses, one of these things could come into play. And so fight and flight, both of those, the whole body tenses up. The muscles get tight. We get this surge of adrenaline and cortisol. And it's like our body is ready to go. It's ready to either fight someone, you know, back in ancient times, it might be like a saber-toothed tiger. Um, So that would be the fight response. And that could look like a whole lot of conflict with a family member, partner, friend. Um, That fight response could also become internalized. You know, if we um, don't feel comfortable or safe expressing our anger, expressing our feelings, or if maybe we have in the past and it did not go well for us, we might actually put that fight back on ourselves. And that could actually look like self-harm or self-deprecation. The flight response is similar with, you know, how the muscles are activated and the adrenaline and cortisol are activated, but it's like this desire to run, to get out. And so that could look like, you know, suddenly standing up out of your chair and walking out the door. Or if, you know, it hasn't been safe for you to really physically respond in those moments, that also could get kind of internalized. And it could sound more like daydreaming. Like, I'm going to leave my job, even though I like my job actually most of the month. Or I am going to get out of this relationship, even though this relationship is actually typically good and healthy for me. It's that I have to leave this life situation that I'm currently in. So I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to quit school. I'm going to leave my partner. I just have to go. And so flight can look like those sorts of responses, or it can look like physically standing up and like running. Freeze is kind of the opposite of those two. It's like a shutting down. And so for some of us, that can look like dissociation. Dissociation, even to the point of like collapsing on the floor, passing out. Um, It can look like severe, extreme brain fog where the mind just goes blank and numb. When these responses come up, our prefrontal cortex does shut down that critical thinking part of the brain. And we can really feel that a lot with a freeze response because it's like we can barely even feel ourselves anymore. Um, And we see that also with the fight or flight, you know. With fight, we might just start screaming things, yelling at someone, saying things that we would never typically say. Prefrontal cortex is shut down and we are just totally in survival mode, Um, just shouting. Um, And often we regret those things that we shout in those moments, right? Because we're not even thinking with our full brain in those moments. Um, But the freeze response is like a a whole system shutdown. Um, would you just explain um, dissociation in case people haven't heard of that term? Yeah, absolutely. So dissociation can be a hard thing to wrap our minds around if it's not something that we are experienced because it can be kind of an abstract concept. But basically, it's like you feel like the world is not real or as though you are not real or as though you're disconnected from your body. So there's two main forms of dissociation. There's derealization and depersonalization. 
And so derealization is, is when it feels like our body isn't real, the world isn't real, but we're still engaging in the world. Like I might be sitting here talking, but internally it feels like the room around me is not real. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had that. And I've had it when I've been driving, which is scary quite a long time ago, thankfully. But yeah, that moment that you just, it, it's a really strange thing to describe. You're there, but you're not there. Yeah, it can be really frightening. And in some moments it can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, the depersonalization type of dissociation is when it feels like there's some part of us that has floated up outside of our body and it's sitting somewhere else watching us live. Um, So we're not fully integrated. And typically people begin dissociating in childhood when they are experiencing a lot of complex trauma. And so it is another survival mechanism. And so, you know, if a little child is experiencing abuse and they have no ability to move their body to safety, it's like this other aspect of self this like invisible part of ourselves is like, okay, I can't get my body out of this situation, but at least I'm going to like help my spirit or that other part of me survive. And so it kind of goes up and out. It just leaves the body and kind of watches the scene until it's safe to reintegrate into the body. Um, the tricky thing is once our body learns how to do that and then does it, you know, somewhat frequently or multiple times because there's, you know, need to do that for survival, it can become habitual. And so any trigger at all or any feeling of internal or external stress can send us into that dissociated response. And many of us actually live with um, dissociation like 80, 90% of the time. And we've learned how to just kind of keep living. So maybe people don't even notice that we're dissociated. Um, And that can also be frustrating in itself because it feels like this invisible suffering that nobody can see um, with something that's hard to even explain. So part of um, trauma recovery and trauma work can be help can help us reintegrate. And that doesn't mean that we never dissociate and maybe we are always some level of dissociated, but hopefully we can get to a point where it's not interrupting our ability to live our lives in the way that we want to live our lives. One thing that just crosses my mind is when you speak about trauma, and I think the mind automatically goes to um, very dark places of abuse. Does trauma come in other forms? Is it neglect? and parental neglect, perhaps emotional neglect? Absolutely. So clinical, the clinical definition of trauma is anything that occurs that is beyond the brain's ability to make sense of it and process it. It is something that happens that should never happen. And therefore the mind, the brain itself can't make sense of that situation. And then all of our survival responses kick into gear um, to help us survive as best we can, even though the situation itself doesn't make sense, because how could it? It's tragic. It's, it's amazing what the body can do to try and protect itself, isn't it? It's how amazing. It's yeah. Amazing. Right? And, and what about fawn? Because that one was new to me. Yeah, I think this fun response is really interesting. Um, and there hasn't been as much talk about it. It's kind of Um, a newer clinical term, Um, but fawn is when we go into people-pleasing mode. And so rather than, you know, going into fight mode 
or running in the flight mode or shutting down into freeze, it's I go into kind of a codependent response of people pleasing. Um, Because for many of us, that is how we stayed safe and survived really hard times in our lives. If I can just make myself smaller and meet the emotional, physical needs of this other person who has power over me, who has control over me, then I will survive. Um, And so this can be subtle and it can be not subtle. So for example, if I become triggered at work, maybe because of my trauma history, I have this cognitive assumption that I am not good, that I am frequently failing, and that people are chronically disappointed in me and therefore my life might shatter. Catastrophe is just around the corner if I am less than perfect. Um, then I'm going to be hypervigilantly doing everything I can to be extremely perfect so that my life doesn't fall apart. But then all of a sudden I get a message from my boss that just acknowledges a mistake that I made. And maybe the message is kind, you know, maybe it's just kind of like a, Hey, I think you forgot this little thing. Right. But my whole system is already on alert And it receives that message. And then all of my trauma survival responses kick into gear. And so that's where fawn, the fawn response can really come into play. And so that might look like me sending like a four page email of I'm so sorry. And then I go into multiple panic attacks. And then I'm like, okay, I need to get another job because I clearly have failed at this one and I'm definitely going to get fired. Oh my God, I can so relate. <laughs> it's, I think getting those emails or, or texts, it's, it's the sort of physical equivalent of receiving the we have to talk message. I remember, yeah. you know, I remember getting emails and stuff in the past and literally, you know, your, your blood just runs cold and it's like everything is wrong in the world. You know, everything comes crushing down. It's just this overwhelming response to something that perhaps other times for me in PMDD for other times of the month that would just be water off a duck's back. But instead it's, you know, it feels like the, the world has been pulled out from under your feet. Absolutely. It's terrifying. And then we can start to act that out. And maybe the boss is on the other end going like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> um, it can be confusing for the people around us, or maybe it's a situation with a partner or a friend or a family member, or maybe it's not even a specific situation, but we might be tuned into the fact that we're going into fawn response at when we're constantly apologizing for things, um, feeling this compulsion to apologize, this very intense need for constant reassurance, external reassurance that doesn't really last long. We feel better for maybe five minutes and then we're like, oh yeah, they're probably just like lying. I can't really trust it. Right. And so one definition of codependency that I really appreciate um, comes from Nikki Myers. And it's when we are seeking outside of ourselves, that which we can only receive from inside. Um, so validation, reassurance, we're looking for that all around us, outside of us, but really it can only come from the inside. And so that external validation, even if someone says just the right thing, it's not going to quite land 
Um, we're not going to quite feel it fully because oftentimes it goes very much against all of our cognitive assumptions. So therefore it just feels like a lie. And then how can I even trust this person anymore? Right? And so this is where the trauma healing work can come into play so that we can start to heal from the inside out. And then when we receive this positive feedback, we can actually believe it and feel it because it's not so incongruent from how we think about ourselves or speak to ourselves all day, every day. If these things are resonating with anyone listening to this, what would be your advice for next steps? You know, is there certain types of therapy or reading people can do to to understand this better? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a therapist, so I'm partial to therapy um, specifically. So I definitely encourage folks to find a mental health therapist who is a good fit for you. And you might have to do some free consults or start working with a couple different people until you find the person who is for you. And that can be extremely beneficial. As for specific types of therapy, I think EMDR is really incredible. It's a specifically a trauma reprocessing therapy that helps work with these neural networks. Cognitive behavioral therapy has some really great elements where we look at that cognitive, those assumptions we have about ourselves, the way we speak to ourselves. And I also really appreciate the body-based aspects of all therapeutic work because the trauma that we've experienced, it happened to the body. PMDD, PME, they happen in the body. And so my belief is that we can't just come at this from a cognitive perspective alone, but we've got to heal all the layers of self and reintegrate all the aspects of ourselves that maybe have gotten disintegrated. And so bringing together the mind, the body, Noticing how the trauma responses land in the nervous system, play out in our relationship with ourselves and others and our thoughts and our emotions, um, that takes an integrative care, requires integrative care. And so for me, the things that have been most beneficial for my healing journey, which I'm still on, we all are, right? We're Mm -hmm. all somewhere in that path. Um, That's For me, it's like a really big commitment to some pretty specific healing modalities. So for me, that looks like mental health therapy, acupuncture, and yoga. And when I say yoga, I'm not talking about like exercise class yoga. I'm talking about classical yoga that's rooted in psychology and philosophy. And that gently helps me come back into my body um, after years, years and years of finding my body to be a very frightening place to live. Um, It's a gentle, compassionate reintegration um, that includes working through the sensations that arise when we come back after being dissociated for so long. And then through the therapy, acupuncture, yoga, it helps to balance the nervous system, settle down that hypervigilant response. And then it also gives us these um, distrust tolerance skills, emotion regulation skills, which um, come from DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, so that we can navigate the crises that will arise in our life, whether that's a PMDD luteal phase crisis, a life situation or circumstance. Um, And so for me, it's being really committed to my recovery, my mental health recovery every day of my life in some form or fashion. 
And would you say, so I know the four Fs are sort of rooted to to trauma, external trauma. Can these things happen if someone hasn't experienced trauma, but the trauma is PMDD or PME itself? Absolutely. And I think that definitely counts as trauma. Yeah, I would agree. It's, It's a very traumatic experience for lots of people. Yeah, Right. Um, And so we can absolutely experience those trauma responses from the experience of PMDD itself. And so one thing about the trauma responses is that we need, we, we've got to complete the cycle. And so if we find that we're going into fight, flight, freezer, fawn mode, the goal is not to cut it off. You know, it's not necessarily to stop the panic attack. It's actually to complete it so that we can return to baseline. And when we cut it off before it's completed, then it actually changes our baseline. So next time around, we're gonna start at a more distressed level than before. And so the tricky part is figuring out ways to complete the cycle and that does not cause harm to ourselves or to other people. And so, for example, if I'm going into a flight response, it could cause a lot of harm for me to suddenly quit a job that I actually love and that's actually quite healthy for me and that does financially provide for me and my family. Um, And so that completing the cycle in that way would cause me harm. It would also cause Mm -hmm. my kiddos harm because I wouldn't be able to like buy groceries, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And this is different if it's a toxic job that you need to walk away from or you're making a career change, right? Like this is different. Um, And so a more helpful way of completing that flight response would be to um, go for a walk. Or for me, it can look like cleaning my kitchen really intensely with a bit of like a door slamming and dishes slamming. You know, as long as the kids aren't around, my partner's around so it doesn't scare them, right? I don't want to scare people, but I got to get that adrenaline, that cortisol out, And so it's going to involve some kind of physical movement, whether that be like, you know, intensely, aggressively cleaning your house, going for a walk or a run. Um, It could even be like tensing up all your muscles in your body and then relaxing them. So it can look different, you know, depending on the situation and your personal preferences. But being sure to complete the cycle in some way or another. For freeze, the way that I've figured out for myself how to complete that cycle for freeze specifically is often like laying down on the floor. Um, okay. And like grounding or grounding. Literal yeah. grounding. <laughs> literal grounding. Yeah, seriously. So I just, I lay down on the literal floor. And so all my whole, the whole back of my body is touching the floor and my hands are against the floor and I breathe and I feel my breath. And when we breathe, it signals to our nervous system that we actually are in fact safe in that moment. So when our breath actually goes down deep into the lower lungs, it lets our whole system know, okay, I'm not in imminent danger. Like if I have this ability to breathe deeply, even if it's taking a lot of conscious effort and struggle, um, I actually am safe. Um, And so that brings the prefrontal cortex back online and it helps regulate the whole system. Yeah. Oh man, see, I need I need to start using these skills. I learned them a long time ago and I only ever use them when things get bad. I do do the 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 full-on cleaning and I yeah. never quite knew why. I just knew 
Uh-huh. I get like, I have to move. I have to move. I can't bear mess. I have to do this. And I, I, I know I'm doing it, but I guess I never really understood why. So it's good to, it's good to understand that. Definitely. Amazing. You experience well, relief you. when you do that? Often. Yes. I think, um, and also hand flapping. I used yeah. to get that one a lot just to sort of get some adrenaline out, some kind of um, something, some kind of movement, kind of shaking around. I used to do yeah. a lot of storming out when I was younger. There was a lot of that, literally just out the front door, two in the morning, yeah. you know, slam the door, walk. It, really unsafe. Like you say, some things that your body feels like you need to do potentially put you in a dangerous situation. And, you know, I think probably a lot of people can relate to that, you know. Yeah you know stomping out on the streets at, at 2 a.m as a well as anyone is is not an ideal situation but it's really interesting I think perhaps we need to do another podcast about some um skills and and tools I think that sounds yeah, like absolutely. amazing fantastic so thank you so much for joining us today Jenny Kay it's been uh, really insightful and um thank you so much thank you so much thanks for listening to the IAPMD podcast Don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and share.